Well, good morning, Rocky Peak. How are you doing? Great to be with you. My name's Michael. I'm one of the pastors, and I want to welcome you, whether here on a worship center or over in the Ridge as you're joining in. But just a, a couple things before we go into our, our time of teaching. Uh, first of all, I don't know how it was over in the Ridge, but what an amazing time of worship here this morning, wasn't it? And uh, you just sense, yeah, you, just, you sense it growing. I don't know if some of you have been in our Saturday night service, uh, but uh, recently, our Saturday night service, God is just moving in such a powerful way there. And uh, I'm, I'm sensing it beginning to, that's beginning to flow out here. This nine o'clock service is beginning to catch on at 11. I, it's just, a, it's a beautiful thing because I think when the people of God come together under the leadership of King Jesus, the kingdom of God is there. And, uh, and so uh, as a church, as we continue to press in, I expect that will continue to grow. That uh, what we're going to be experiencing here at our weekend service is going to be increasingly a sense of the presence of God, an encounter with God. And I just want to kind of call that out so we're all noticing that, that as we listen and follow, that's one of the natural, uh, natural results that we are living with Jesus throughout the week. We come and we experience him in greater power here together. Uh, and so in light of that, um, I really want to throw in my two cents to this Wednesday night. These encounters are very special times. We only do them a few times a year. This one's going to be very unique because really what we're going to be doing is saying, okay, what the lessons that God has been leading us uh, in this 40 series, we're going to be going before him as a church. And so we're going to actually, not only have time of worship, but we're going to have times for you to go. We're going to have our pastors and elders around the room. If you want prayer in your life uh, about the next step of transformation, uh, in your life. You'll be able to go and get uh, uh, hands laid on, kind of prayed for that, that God would do that. Um, we're going to have a time of uh, uh, communion during that time, of kind of cleansing uh, us. And so it's going to be a very uh, powerful time as we, we pray over these different areas that we've been talking about in this series. So I really encourage you to make do everything you can to be with us. If you have a Wednesday night life group, come with us. Uh, bring the life group here. Uh, make it a priority. It's going to be a great time. And then the last thing I want to mention is obviously this was a huge week for our nation with this uh, horrendous massacre in Las Vegas. And uh, we live in difficult times, troubling times. And as followers of Jesus, we're called to be the light of the world. We're going to be talking about that today. And so we want to be praying today as we go into this time of teaching. We want to be praying for those families involved. We want to be praying for our nation. I really see this as, as you know, that this kind of thing is, is a result of a culture that's moving further and further away from God. And so, so what these things are, they, they may seem kind of fringe, but they're the result of a culture that's rejected the truth about who God is, that, that creates uh, a culture that these sorts of things happen. And so we need to be praying for our nation. We need to be praying for the church of our nation, that the, the light of Jesus would be strong, that we'd have that influence, that kind of salt and light that is permeating our culture and calling our culture back to the creator. Amen. So um, would you join me in prayer for that? So Lord, we just come today in the name of King Jesus, and we've been studying how, that Jesus, you are king of all creation, not in the future, but here and now. And so we come as, to you as the ultimate authority over our nation. And Lord, we repent of our sins. As a nation, we stand before you. We recognize that we have rejected the creator. And as your word says, when we reject the creator, we start worshiping the creation and and professing ourselves to become wise, we become foolish. And we're seeing that on so many levels as, uh, on the national front. And Lord, so we just pray for a spirit of repentance over our nation. We pray as followers of Jesus, we would be letting our light shine, that our influence would increase. Father, we pray for, this, uh, for the families of those who have lost a, uh, a loved one in this horrendous massacre. We pray for the families of those or for the people involved that have been injured, have been wounded. And God, we just pray that out of this horrible event that you would bring good, you would bring healing, your presence would be very real, you would draw people to yourself who didn't know you before through this, that questions would be asked that would not be asked otherwise, and out of this horrendous evil, you would bring something for your kingdom. And so, Father, as we come today into your presence as your church, in your name, under your banner, under the authority of your word, under the leadership of your spirit, we come today in the kingdom of God to hear from you. God, we are not going through the motions. We are not here to check it off our list. We are here to meet with you and to learn the next step in as we chart our course to transformation. So we pray that you would open up your word, that you would speak to us by name, and that we would hear your voice and we would go out changed because we are here today. And we pray this in the name of our king and for his kingdom and for his glory. And everyone said, amen. 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 
Well, our story starts today on a Thursday afternoon, and uh, they've traveled a long distance to get here, and they look forward to this day every year. It's the biggest event of their year, and, and they've all arrived, um, and so they've checked in, and they've found their second floor conference room as they're going to come together to celebrate. And they're just like so excited to be back in the Capitol together uh, as a team to celebrate uh, this big event of the year. And so the, the evening starts off uh, as it always does with a great, uh, great dinner, great wine. And they're just enjoying one another's company, reflecting on the past. Uh, but they're also looking forward to the future because... Um, in their minds, the future looks bright, that uh, their team has been together for several years. It's looking like exciting things are on the forefront, coming down the pike, and they are excited. But what they don't know is that in a matter of minutes, something's going to happen that's going to change the course of not only the future, but every one of their lives for the rest of their lives. And it's going to leave them absolutely stunned. Well, today, we are continuing the series that we've been in the last three weeks called 40, Charting a Course Transformation. And of course, if you've been here, you, you kind of know this, but if you're brand new, we want to welcome you, kind of usher you in. Um, this, this title, 40, really comes from two different sources. Uh, first of all, uh, most of you know about this last summer, we passed a major milestone as a church. We had our 40-year anniversary, and so one of the things we're doing in this series is looking back to see how God has blessed us, to thank Him for what He's done, to reflect on the lessons He's taught us, but also uh, it's a looking forward. A lot of you know that in the Bible that uh, the number 40 is often, not always, it's often a significant number. It's often a time that indicates a time of change, transition, crossroads, for either good or bad. We've talked about that. We've talked about Moses going up on the mountain 40 days and 40 nights to receive the law of God for Israel. We've talked about the nation of Israel about a year later refusing to go into the promised land. And as a result, spending the next 40 years wandering in the desert. We've talked about the prophet Elijah over four, 500 years later uh, being sent back to Mount Sinai at a time of major crisis in his life where God met him and recommissioned him for the next stage of his journey. We talked last week about Jesus uh, after his baptism, how the Spirit led him into the wilderness for 40 days and 40 nights, like Moses, like Elijah, to prepare him to launch his ministry. And so so you see this throughout the Bible, that often the number 40 is a time of change, transition, milestone for either good or bad. And so in this series, we're not just looking back to where we've come, what we've learned. We're looking forward. We're asking God, what are the next steps in our journey as we chart a course into the future? And of course, the key word for this whole series has been this word, transformation. And so what we've seen the first three weeks is that when Jesus comes into a person's life, his vision for us is much more than we just be saved, go to heaven when we die, that his vision is we come under his leadership as our king, that we'd be truly forgiven for all crimes against the kingdom, that we'd enter into a process of transformation where we learn to listen and follow and to obey everything he's taught, as Jesus said. And the goal is that the student would become like the teacher. And so... Uh, the last couple of weeks, we've looked at the, the role that the Word plays in this, the primary tool God uses to shape our life. We looked at the role last week of the Holy Spirit, how the Holy Spirit is the general contractor on the job, that He's the one that leads, guides, and energizes and empowers us to change. And so today, we want to take the next step in this journey, and the next step in this journey has to do with where this transformation is leading. And what we're going to see today is that when Jesus comes into our life and begins to transform us, it's not simply that we could become the people we were created to be and live comfortable lives, but that when Jesus comes in to change our life so we can be like him, the goal is he's going to change us so that we can become world changers. And so uh, on your note sheet, I put a quote there. I think you're going to have to flip the page for this. They did last night. <laughs> um, and so this is a quote from a, a small group study called Rooted. I'm going to talk more about that next week. But, um, but in the sixth week of this 10-week study, uh, they're, they're talking about what it means to be a follower of Jesus. 
And, and this just really kind of summarizes it really well. He says, Jesus' mission isn't just to clear, clean up the mess sin has made and to save people from their sins and to make sure they go to heaven when they die. The New Testament is clear that this is only part of his role. Jesus has come, catch us, to restore all creation. And that is to bring everything in back to the way God intended. God redeemed us, and it's out of our love for him that we can be Christ's hands and feet to care for the world and those in it. Our redemptive purpose is to help bring people closer to the Lord and to restore creation. We are part of that process. We partner with God to bring wholeness and healing. We're invited to be agents of reconciliation, mercy, truth, wisdom, and and love. And so to be a follower of Jesus is not simply to be transformed in our own lives, our own families, our own church. But to be a follower of Jesus is to join him in his, his mission to be light of the world and to bring all of creation healed and restored under the leadership of King Jesus. The way that Jesus put it in John 20 on the day of his resurrection or after he was resurrected, he shows up and meets with his, his disciples. And of course, they're scared to death, right, because they're not used to seeing him alive. And so if you look on your note sheet, his first thing he says to them is shalom, peace to you. Uh, and kind of, kind of helps them settle down because they're freaking out. And then he, look what he says. As the Father has sent me, I am what? So as the Father has sent me, I am sending you. Jesus came as to be the light of the world, to light it up, to show the path to life, to bring all creation under his leadership. He has now transferred that mission to us. And this is why in Matthew 5, we'll see in our next series, He says, you are the light of the world. Not that you should be, that you are. Now, you may be 20 watts or 100 watts, but whatever you are, you are. You know, how dim is your bulb, right? So, uh, so, but we are the light of the world. So Jesus says, this is why I've come to lead in the path of life, and I believe now I'm transferring that to you. And so as followers of Jesus, we're not just transformed for us, we are changed to be world changers. You following? All right. So today we want to take the next step of this journey, and we want to talk about this calling in our life to be world changers, and I've called this message Serving Sacrificially. Now, if you're a long-time Rocky Peak person, or maybe even a short time, you may recognize this because this is part of our vision statement, right? Our vision statement is going to unleash a movement of what? passionate Christ followers. And then we have four distinctive markers what a passionate Christ follower looks like. Number three is serving sacrificially. Now, like all four of the markers, they all flow out of the life of Jesus. And so today to get at this, I want to look at a very important event, one of the key events of his life that helps us understand what transformation looks like, what it calls to be like Jesus. It's one of the most famous events of his life, but like many famous events, we often miss it because we're so familiar. And so we're going to have to go back in time, look at it with first century eyes as we did in our previous series uh, unfilter, take off some filters, kind of go back in time to the first century, see it through first century eyes. And as we do that, today we're going to get a picture of what it means to be transformed to be like Jesus, what the goal is. So there in your note sheet, you have a section that's called Transformation, the Jesus Model. And I want to walk you through a key event uh, in his life. And so many of you be familiar with this. Uh, this is actually the story we started the day with. You know, we started the day with the story of this team that's arrived at the Capitol. They've traveled a great distance. They're excited to be here. It's the biggest event of the year. They're going to have a big dinner together, share dinner and wine and so on. And so this is a story of Jesus and his followers, his disciples, uh, on their final trip to Jerusalem. Of course, the men don't know it's final trip. Jesus does. But their final trip, and they're, they're coming for Passover, Now, remember what Passover is. We often miss this. This is where you need to take some lenses off. Passover is not just a religious festival. It is a political festival. Because Passover celebrates the time when God uh, freed the nation of Israel from slavery under a tyrant named Pharaoh, and they became a nation. Uh, Passover for the Jews is what 4th of July is for us as Americans. 
And so whenever you're celebrating the Passover, you're looking back to how God freed you from a tyrant in the past. You are looking forward to revolution in the future. You are looking forward for the time comes when God will rescue you from Rome. This is why during Passover, it's often a time of high alert for the Roman armies. The, uh, the Roman, uh, the governor would move from Caesarea to uh, Jerusalem during this time. He would bring extra, uh, extra cohorts of soldiers into Jerusalem because hundreds of thousands of, Jews, uh, Jesus, uh, uh, of Jewish pilgrims are going to come to the city with revolution on their mind. Looking backward to when God re- rescued them, looking forward to the time when he will rescue, it's a very dangerous time to be a Roman. And so it's in this, uh, in this setting that Jesus arrives with his men. Now, to put ourselves in their mindset, we don't have time to go into all the details and evidence today. You'll have to trust me for a change on this one. That, uh, that as we go through the Gospel of Matthew uh, later, as we continue our series uh, in Matthew, we'll see this, that all evidence would suggest that the disciples, as they come to Jerusalem, uh, this Passover, they really believe that Jesus is about to start a revolt against Rome. Now, this was very common. Uh, Judea was a hotbed of Jewish rebellion. When Jesus was 10 years old, there was a rebellion in Galilee where he grew up. A man named Judas became a leader of a party called the Zealots. He objected to paying Taxes to Rome felt like that was an ungodly thing to do. We shouldn't be doing that. He led a revolt. Rome had to bring in, I believe it's the 12th legion, if I remember right, to crush that revolt. After they crushed the revolt, they crucified 2,000 patriots in Galilee when Jesus was 10 years old. 30, 40 years after Jesus, there's going to be a major revolt Uh, of unprecedented scales. It's going to take four Roman legions to put it down. They're They're going to wipe out the whole country, destroy the whole city of Jerusalem, level it. And so this whole first century, it's a time of hotbed of rebellion. And so the disciples seem to be buying into this that they believe that Jesus is going to be the next King David. He's about to take this power, the power that raised the dead, a power that opened the eyes of the blind, a power that restored the walking to the lame, a power that commanded the elements, nature itself, a power that turned water into wine. He's going to take this supernatural power that he has through the Holy Spirit, and he's going to unleash it on Rome. They seem to be in a mindset, remember that just four days before this, Jesus came into the acclaim of the crowds on Palm Sunday, and they're saying, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. They're waving palm branches, which was a sign of rebellion and from the Maccabean rebellion from 200 years before. It's a political statement that the rebellion is in the air. They believe that he is about to become a king. He's going to launch his revolt. Well, this revolt takes days, weeks, months, years. We're not sure. But when it gets done, Israel is going to be an independent nation again. And Jesus will be King David 2.0. And they're going to sit at his right and left. They've been arguing over which of them will have the corner offices. And this is their vision. And so what is a king to them? We look at 21st century, what is a king? A king to them is King Herod. A king to them is Caesar. That's what a king looks like. A king has fine robes. A king is surrounded by a royal bodyguard of Germans. Uh, a king is, uh, has slaves serving him at all times. A king lives in luxury. That is their vision of the future. On the flip side of that, We know from the first century, they live in a very hierarchical culture. We call it in sociology, honor and shame culture. Your number one goal in life was to climb the ladder to be honored. Very openly. Your number one thing was to avoid shame. And so in the culture of the first century, it was a very... Uh, it was a very uh, hierarchical culture. Like here at Rocky Peak, you could look around today and you can't really tell like by where people are sitting how honored they are. 
Like we have these first row people here that I love, right? In the ancient world, they would be the top dogs. They would be the most important people. Everyone would know it, right? Uh, in the ancient world, the way you dressed, where you sat at banquets, how you were addressed, this was very specific. There were certain people that did certain jobs. If you were like a senator in Rome, you couldn't work in trade. I mean, there was, it was very hierarchical. Like here at Rocky Peak, you cannot look around and you can't see based on what people are wearing, how wealthy they are or what role they play in society. Like you might be sitting next to a billionaire right now and you don't know it. You might want to ask them, just for clarity. Um, the ancient world was not like that. Remember what Jesus said, hey, you, you Pharisees, you like the, the best seats at the, the honor. You like to wear the robes. You like to be uh, treated a certain way. I mean, it was very hierarchical. And so into this culture, of course, the lowest of the low were slaves. Slaves had absolutely no rights. I was just listening this morning to another book on Rome, and they were saying, if you're a slave in the Roman Empire, that often go after attractive men, attractive women, and then they become sex slaves of the owner, and that was you had no rights. You had absolutely no right. You were considered property. You had no legal rights. And so you were the bottom. You were the considered. And so there were certain things that only slaves would do. In Israel, one of the things that like slaves would do, sometimes women, sometimes children, never Jewish men, is wash feet. Uh, foot washing was very important because everyone wore sandals. Your feet got really dirty. And not just with dust, but like in the, in the city streets, like uh, about a month or so ago, I was in Pompeii over in Rome. So it was destroyed 79, uh, 79 AD, Mount Vesuvius goes up. And so uh, it's a first century Roman city. And it was interesting because you walk through these cobblestone streets of Pompeii, there would be these pillars about a foot and a half Paul, like three of them across the road. And so chariots could kind of straddle them as they go through. But we're like, what are those pillars for? Those are crossing the street. Why do you need that? Because they would throw out in the street human waste and trash. You don't want to be walking in the streets. Jerusalem was a very big cosmopolitan city. It's like they're your feet would get very dirty. And so it was considered low class, super low class to wash feet. Slaves would do it. And so if, if, we, if we have these two images of the disciples' mindset of who Jesus is and what a king is going to be like, and you have this mindset of a slave and who a slave is like, now we're prepared to understand what happens. So it's at this Passover, Passover dinner, and all of a sudden, Jesus is going to get up and rock their world. And he's going to walk over to the corner. And I want you to set the scene here. It's a, it's a dark night, right? It's, uh, you've got oil lamps burning in this upper room, so you can smell the, the oil from the olive oil. You've got, that, that, then you've got shadows in the room. It's uh, kind of a, a, a soft glow lighting. And Jesus is going to walk over. Every eye is on him. What's he going to do? And he starts taking off his outer clothes when underneath he would have like a, uh, like a, I would think of like a night shirt. And he's going to, and then he's going to, he's going to pick up a towel, a long towel. And he's going to wrap it around his waist. He's going to pick up a basin of water and he's going to carefully walk back. Now, every eye on the room is on him. What in the world is going on? Now, I want you to catch this. We look back with 21st century eyes and say, isn't that awesome? Jesus is being so humble. That is not how they would be looking at this. They would be looking at this as incredibly inappropriate. What is going on here? Someone needs to help him understand how kings act. Because in a few days, we're going to be launching a revolution and if our soldiers ever see him acting like a slave, no one is going to follow him. So this is not a happy moment. This is an awkward moment. And I want you to picture this. Jesus is coming over. Everyone is afraid to say anything. And I, you could hear a pin drop. 
I want you to picture this dark night, glow of the, 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 the oil lamps, shadows on the wall. They're reclining Roman style at table. So they're at a short table. Their heads are in. Their feet are back away. And Jesus begins to come carefully, dressed like a slave, coming to wash their feet. And as he begins to wash the first man's feet, it is dead silence. No one knows what to do. This is just so wrong. Catch this. This is embarrassing. He is shaming himself. And no one one's wants to take on Jesus, so no one's saying a word. But I want you to hear, because all we could hear if we're there is the lapping of water against the sides of the bowl and the dripping of the water as Jesus reaches in his cloth and takes his, the brush or whatever he uses and begins to take the first man's feet that are filthy and like a slave begins to wash them. And I'm telling you, if you're there, you're getting nervous. You're counting off how many, time, how many people between me and him. And you're just hope. I hope this stuff, I hope he just does this once. But he doesn't. And this is going to take time. There's at least 10 men at this table. And I want you to do the math. You're going to wash each man's feet. It's going to take at least a minute or two, three minutes, I don't know. It's going to take 20 minutes, 30 minutes, and it's completely awkward. And you're counting off, and oh no, he's coming my way. Oh my God, he's three, he's three for me. I hope he stops. Dear God, let him stop. And now he's two. And now he's one. And now he's got your feet in his hands, and it is awkward. And when it gets to Peter, the leader of the band, Peter can't take it any longer. This is just so awkward. It's so wrong. And so Peter stops him and says, Lord, I will never let you wash my feet. And like usual, Peter loses the argument. (laughs) And Peter has to endure this humiliation of having his king Wash his feet. This is wrong. And when he gets done, Jesus will kind of complete the loop. And when he's finally done, thank God, he's going to stand up in the firelight, the light of the the oil lamps, he's going to carry that basin slowly so he doesn't slosh it back to the corner. And then with the shadows against him, He's going to get dressed, and he's going to come back to the table, and he's going to lay down on his right arm to recline at table, and he's not going to make a statement. He's going to ask a question. And I want you just to hold that image there for a minute. We're going to come back to it. But for right now, I want us to jump ahead. And so there on your note sheet, you have a section It's called transformation, serving sacrificial. And of course, the question is, what is Jesus up to? What is he doing? Why this dramatic action? I want you to catch this, men and women. He had never done this before. This is the first time. It's a one time only. It's almost like an acted out parable. So the question is, what's the point? What does he want us to take? What's he trying to teach? Two principles. Number one, the first thing Jesus is trying to teach them, trying to teach us, is that for a follower of Jesus, service is a way of life. That service for the Christ follower is not a one-time thing. It's not an occasional act. It's part of our core identity that we are servants. And the reason this is true, and I want you to follow this, is because service is the natural outflow of love. And the Apostle John, who's the only one to record this event, he makes this very clear, because in John 13, there in your note sheet, he says it was just before the Passover feast, and this is how he introduces the story. 
Jesus knew the hour had come for him to leave this world. He's going to be arrested that night. He's going to go to the Father, and having loved his own who are in the world, he loved them to what? The end. And in the Greek, it's the word telos. It has to do with he loved them, yeah, to the last moment, but he also loved them to the uttermost. And so, so what is Jesus doing? Jesus is giving us a window into his heart. He's opening up the curtains and letting us get a glimpse into who Jesus is in, what drives him and what motivates him. Jesus was a very strong leader. You get this because the men are afraid to even ask him questions. He's a very strong leader. But at this moment, he opens up the window and what he's showing us is that behind every action he's taken these last three years, that it was a heart of love. And they may not have always understood that. They might not have understood that when he was rebuking them or correcting them or when he's been mysterious. But he's opening up that behind every action that, that there's been a heart of love. And by putting this towel on his waist, he's making a statement, this is why I have come. I have come to be a slave so that you could be set free. And so as we look through this, this uh, kind of prism of this action, we look back to the past, and the past becomes clear. Of course, this is what the Apostle Paul will later write about in Philippians chapter 2, where he says that Jesus, being in the form of God, did not think equality with God was something to be held on to, but he emptied himself and he took upon himself the form of, in the Greek it says, a form of a slave. And being found in form as a human being, he says that he not just became a slave, but he became the ultimate slavery. He went to the cross. And so this action that Jesus is taking is giving him insight into the past but it's also a prophecy about the future because the very next day he is going to go and he will take off the towel of a slave and he will allow himself to become naked on a cross in the ultimate act of washing. This is why when Peter says, you can never wash my feet, he says, Peter, if I don't wash your feet, you have no part of me. And Peter says, well, if that's the case, then wash my whole body. And he says, no, you don't need to do that. That's already happened. What's happening the next day, he's going to wash our whole bodies. What this, this image is about, it's an understanding of who God is, that God is a God of love. The God that we serve is a God who came to become a slave for the sake of his enemies that we might be free. This is who God is. And in this moment, Jesus is revealing the heart of God. And what he's revealing to us is that if we're a follower of Jesus, the heart of God that's motivated by love, that's lived out in a life of service, this is our calling. And so there on your note sheet, we go back to that scene where he comes back to the table. He gets down in the firelight, in the, in the light of the oil lamps. And every eye is on him, and every eye is confused. And what just happened here? And they're stunned. And Jesus starts, he asks the question, do you understand what I have just done for you? And the answer, of course, is no. We don't have a clue. We are completely confused and baffled why you would humiliate yourself and shame yourself. Days before we launch your bid to be a king. And look what he says. You call me teacher, like a rabbi. You call me Lord, which has as much political implications as spiritual. You call me your Lord, your leader. He says, and rightly so, that is what I am. I am your teacher. I am your Lord. But he said, now that if I, your Lord and your teacher, have washed your feet like a slave, you should wash each other's feet. And catch this, their reaction is not, cool, I get it. Their reaction is going to be, no way. These are the same men that on the way to Jerusalem were arguing, which of us is the greatest? 
Remember, it's an honor-based society. To seek your own glory was considered normative and right. In our culture, it sounds like, oh, how crazy. We would never do that. We would never go to a life group and say, who do you think is the greatest? I think it's me. Uh, let's have some discussion, debate. But let me just kind of lay out why I am the greatest. And then you lay out your case. And then we'll decide which of us is the greatest in this group. Like to us, that'd be super awkward, right? We may think it, but we don't. No. Uh, so, 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 but in that culture, to seek your own glory was normative. I mean, Augustus Caesar, he, he wrote a whole book about why he was the greatest, and then it was put on bronze plates throughout the Roman Empire. I did this, I did this, I did this. This was normative. If you're a Roman senator, if you're running for office, I'm the greatest. Here's why. This was normative. And so they're, they're just reflecting their culture. I am the greatest. I think that. What do you, they're, arguing, they're arguing on the way to Jerusalem who's going to have the corner office in the administration. I, right hand, left hand, they're doing the political back channels with Jesus to try to secure the top cabinet positions. And Jesus says, hey, the greatest are those who act like a slave. It is completely countercultural. And Jesus says this, in my kingdom, the path to greatness leads through the door of service. Revolutionary. And so Jesus comes up and says, hey, why did he do this? Because he says that if we're going to be transformed, what does it look like for you to be transformed and me to be transformed? It means that we would grow in our love for God and others that naturally flows out into a life of service. One of my favorite places to go in Israel is in the, further, the northernmost city, the city of Dan. And there at Dan is a nature preserve, and it's one of the three headwaters of the Jordan River. And it is so lush, a forest-like area, like, almost like a jungle-type area, because the water there from a natural springs just flows out of the ground into rushing rivers. Here's what I want you to catch. If love is the spring, service is the rivers. Are you with me? That service isn't something we tack on to our Christian life. I'm a Christian, and therefore, I have to do these acts of service. No, becoming transformed like Jesus is we grow in love for God and others. And service is the natural manifestation of love. And so for us as Christ's followers, Jesus wants to understand service is not an occasional act we do. It's a way of life. It's who we are. It starts in our homes. It starts in our marriages. It starts in our families and our friendships. It flows out to the community of Jesus. It goes out to our workplace, and then it goes out to be streams of living water that refresh the whole world. The second lesson that he wanted to teach is that not only is serving a way of life, serving is the path to life. And so, of course, Jesus came to give us life. None of his instructions ever lead to death. They always lead to life. And so what Jesus is teaching is is not only a service, a way of life, this is actually the path to life. If you want to live life to the full, you want to live under the blessing of God, you want to live a fulfilled life, don't live for yourself, live for God, live for others. Now, this is very counterintuitive. We live in a culture today that's constantly telling us, look out for number one. Don't let anyone tell you what to do. We live in a culture, brand yourself. What's your brand? Think how much self-promotion happens on Facebook. Look how cool my family is. Right? Look how, hey, look, let me, uh, we're going to brand, we're going to social media, we're going to create a brand for ourselves. Our culture is constantly telling you, if you want to be fulfilled, you need to climb the ladder of success, get more likes on your Facebook than anyone else. And what happened is then you will no longer have to serve others, they will serve you, and that's the key to life. And catch this. The disciples saw it exactly the same way. This is why they're arguing on the way to Jerusalem, 
over who will be at the right hand, who will be at the left, who's the greatest, jockeying for position, because they believe the path to success, the path to greatness, was becoming like the one everyone else serves. Like the more successful you are, you have to serve others less, you serve yourself more, that's the path to life. And Jesus comes, he says, no, it's exactly the opposite. Even the Son of Man has not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life in truly sacrificial service. And so Jesus comes and says, no, if you want life to the full, catch this, you are created to love. See, salmon were created and designed to swim upstream. Eagles were designed to fly. Lions are designed to roar. Thoroughbreds are designed to race. And you and I were created in the image of God to love. And we will never be fulfilled when that love is love turned inward. We just love ourselves. We find fulfillment as we learn to become like our creator and take up the towel and the basin. You see, when Jesus tied a towel around his waist, by definition, he threw a towel to every one of us. And he says, this is the path to life. He said, if you try to save your life, you will lose it. If you lose your life for myself and the gospel, you'll find it. You know, in our last series, Unfiltered, we, we kicked off this, this section of the most famous message in the history of the world, the, the Sermon on the Mount. And if you're here for that series, you know that Jesus starts with eight statements about the path to the good life, the blessed life. We, we learned that in Jewish thought, the way you talk about life to the full or fulfillment is the blessed life, life lived under the blessing. And so he starts off with these eight beatitudes, these eight blessings, right? Come from the Latin for beatus, for blessing, the beatitude. And what we learned there is that this is the way you talked about the good life, the fulfilled life in Jewish thought. And with that in mind, look what Jesus says on your note sheet. This is the final thing he says as he wraps up this teaching about the foot washing. The very last thing he says, he says, now that you know these things, you will be what? Blessed if you what? Do them. Do you see what he's saying? He says, what, I, what I'm modeling for you, what I'm giving insight into my heart, what's beyond what I've done, why I'm going to the cross tomorrow. What, what I'm doing is I'm showing you the path to the good life. This is not only the way of life, it's the way to life. And so the question is, <coughs> what are our next steps in this as a church? There in your note sheet, <coughs> you have a section called Transformation Next Steps. And what I've shared in this series is that that in this series, we're not going to be touching down on every phrase, every part of our vision statement. We're not going to be going in depth, uh, kind of doing a deep dive on each of our seven values, our core values. So what we're going to be doing is focusing on those parts of the vision step, those values where God seems to be making it clear to us as a leadership uh, team, here are the next steps for you as a church in terms of charting a course to future transformation. And so today, I want to talk to you about our next steps, and and one of this is the area of serving sacrificially. And to get at this, I want to take you back in time to the the summer, fall, I can't remember exactly when, of 2013. And so if you were to go back there, I was sitting in my upstairs office here, and I got a text that day from a a woman on our staff, a young woman on our staff, and she said, can I meet with you? And this is a young woman I'd never met with one-on-one, and so I knew it must be important. We talked out in parking lot, things like that. But I said, absolutely, I'll clear my schedule this morning. Something must be going on. Let's get together. And so she came in and she said, you know, it's weird. She said, I was driving to work this morning. And she said, I was remembering back to my college years. It was a time when God was really doing some fresh and new things in my life. And I was in a different state. And she told me what state. And she said, and, and, and so I plugged into a, a large church there. And they had a couple ministries that really impacted my life. And so as I was driving to work today, I was just reminiscing on that. And for whatever reason, out of the blue, I just felt like God was telling me to come and tell you about this. And I said, well, that's awesome, because that's what we do. We listen and follow, right? 
So it's awesome. And it's a great, this, this story is a great illustration of how God leads us as a church, right? And how spirit leads. So anyway, so she starts sharing. She shares this first ministry. I was like, well, it's really interesting, cool. I wasn't trick, nothing was triggering that. We'll see what God does in the future. But when she started sharing, she said, Oh, and by the way, there's this other one. And she starts sharing about this church and how, how they would go out into the community at different times of the year and serve the community, kind of doing kind of good works, just uh, showing the love of Jesus in practical ways. And I'm telling you, the moment she shared it with me, I mean, the moment she started, it's like I knew. And here's the thing. This was not a new idea. Um, the church that I served before, you know, I've been there over 20 years. And after I left, shortly after I left, they began to do a similar ministry. And I love this idea. I've been on the community, hands and feet of Jesus. I loved it. And I really wanted to do it here at Rocky Peak. But what I've learned over the years is that when God has a vision for your life or for our church, that God always has a what and a when. And if you have the right what, but the wrong when, it creates problems. And so this was one of those times where for years I'd wanted to do this. I had not felt released. I had not felt called. But as she's sharing... I mean, clicked, and was like, I think this is it. I took it to some of our key leaders. We talked about it. We really felt, yeah, God was in this. And so as a result, uh, in February of 2014, we launched our first all-serve event here. Now, a lot of you were here. It was very successful. People got on board. We had 600 people go out that Saturday and serve at 24 different locations. It was awesome. And from the beginning, there were several reasons why we were doing all-serve. And, and like three of them were obvious, but the most important is not. And that's what I want to share with you today. Uh, from the beginning, we knew that by just sending out hundreds of people, and of course, now it's grown over the, the years we've done it every fall since then, and, and, and it's just continued to grow and expand every year bigger and more. And last year, what, over 1,600 volunteers at almost 60 different locations. And so from the beginning, we knew this had tremendous impact just to do a lot for the kingdom. That you send that many people out in a concentrate, you can get a lot done. And a great service. So, so it's, that's obvious, right? And also, one of my uh, goals for this is that we would create a better environment in the valleys we serve to share the message of Jesus. Let's face it, Christians don't always have the best uh, reputation in our culture, right? And so we, we got, you just love people and serve people. It creates a better environment to share Jesus for all churches. And so we, that, yes, that was part of it. And then there was a part of it, like we wanted to get our name out there. As we get out and we serve people, we love people, and people are kind of, I'm, man, I've been thinking about searching for God, and this kind of triggers me, and like what church you, like we wanted people to know, if you want to seek God, you want to find God, there's a place that's really seeking, and we'd love to have you if you don't have another church, right? So of course, that was part of it, for sure. Those are the obvious things. But can I tell you the most important thing about all serve? The biggest reason we did it was not about the one-day impact. It was not about creating a new uh, kind of ethos in our community. It wasn't about getting our name out there. It was about changing the heart of this church. It was about understanding a new paradigm of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. That to be a follower of Jesus, we are called not just to create a great community of love here, as much as is important that is, that we are called to be world changers. And this was going to be a powerful tool to begin to shape our hearts to understand what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And of course, it's had that effect. And if you've been here over that years, you just watch this happening. As more and more people from Rocky Peak, the Lord is calling them just the Holy Spirit's calling to reach out to this ministry or reach out to this neighbor or to reach out to this organization or whatever it is that we're just taking the love of Jesus out. But what's really exciting is that this last year, we've just felt as a leadership team, God is saying, now it's time for the next level. That this was great. This was stage one, getting out in the community on a regular basis every year. That's a great stage one. <clears throat> but that God is calling us to something more. That he wants us to be out in the community not just one day a year, but throughout the year. It's the hands and feet of Jesus. And so this year, you may have noticed some of the practical steps we've been implementing. We've not talked about this a lot. I shared this at the January encounter, our congregational meeting. I shared this vision, what God was telling us, uh, in January. 
But you may have noticed other things. Like in January, we began putting every week in our program, or not every week, but most weeks, in our program, on the back of them, we, we call them Serving Sacrificially Opportunities. We were just highlighting this organization or this thing that if you want to serve, and it was so awesome how you responded. Because pretty soon our biggest problem was we didn't have enough opportunities. And I meet with Brian Moorhead, who is a pastor of global and local ministries, and say, hey, we have to get more opportunities. He said, there's so many people responding. There's so many life groups responding. I'm running out of opportunities. Awesome. A second step we took this year that you may have noticed is we began sharing what we call serving sacrificially stories. We began sharing stories at our weekend service on a regular basis of men and women who are called by God to go out in the community to make a difference, here from Rocky Peak. And there's been stories about uh, uh, groups of people, life groups, and ongoing basis going out to San Fernando uh, rescue mission and serving the homeless. There's been stories about men and women going to help with the pregnancy crisis center in Simi Valley. There's been stories about these men and women going to uh, prisons in LA and this, this chaplain that God has raised up here at Rocky Peak who leads that ministry. And every time we've shared a story, we've kind of put an ask out there. If you're interested, if God's putting this on your heart, here's a way. And people are responding and people are going, yeah. The whole point of this is just to cast vision to tell stories, to cast vision, what it means to be a follower of Jesus. The follower of Jesus means, yes, we love our families. Yes, we love our friends. Yes, we love our life groups, and we love our community here at Rocky Peak, and we, we build a thriving community. We're serving one another. Yes, but the movement of Jesus doesn't stop there, but his vision is we are the hands and feet of Jesus, and that we go out and we light it up. Remember what Jesus said? He said, I am the light of the world. But then he said in the Sermon on the Mount, we'll sit in this couple weeks, he said, you are the light of the world. And he said, so let your light shine before men so they may see your good, what? Works. Not your words. The world is tired of words. They want to see your works. They want to see your love in action. And he says, the end result is going to be drawn to God. They're going to glorify your Father in heaven. And so we've been sharing these stories because what we're doing is just creating an environment where we're asking the Holy Spirit to speak. Now, God may lead you to get in one of these. It may be a season of your life. He's not calling you to get in one of these. That's fine. He may call you to get involved in a formal way out in the community. It may be informal. He may call you, there's an elderly person in your neighborhood. There's a family with a disabled child that needs some relief. Um, there, there may be ministries that we aren't even involved with at all here, but God calls you to go out and serve in that ministry. It may be, I saw today there's an HIV walk in, in LA in October, and you might say, I want to raise, uh, raise funds for that. I, I want to show those followers of Jesus, we care about people who are suffering. And we're not sure, we don't care how you got to be, we just love you and we want to help. And so what we want to do is just create an environment, an awareness for the Holy Spirit to speak. And so how he leads you, how he leads me, it'll all be different. We don't have an agenda for your life. We're not trying to create a million ministries that are centralized here at Rocky Peak. We want to unleash you to hear God's call on your life, to be the hands and feet of Jesus whenever and however he calls it, and that you would see that as followers of Jesus, we are called not just to change our families and our church, we are called to be the light of the world. Amen? And so I have one question for you. Every week I've had one big question. Next week I think we're going to have two, just to end big. <laughs> kind of like the 4th of July, you know, they go out with a double bang, the final fireworks. But I have a question for you. <laughs> And so let's, let's talk about where we've been. Every week I've had a big picture question, right? The first week, what's your vision? We said that Jesus' vision is radical transformation. Student becomes like the teacher. What's your vision of what it means to be a follower of Jesus? If it's anything less than radical transformation, our vision is too small. The second week, I asked the question, what's the word to you? We, we saw that the word of God is the primary tool that God uses over time, not the only one, but speaks into our life to transform our minds, 
We can be like Jesus. We saw what the word was to Jesus. It was his life. It was his path to life. So the question is, what was the word to you? That last week we asked the question, we saw that the Holy Spirit is in charge of this whole transformation process. As we listen and follow, we are transformed. I asked the question, are you listening? So here's my question today. Jesus calls us to be the light of the world, to light it up. The question I have is, how bright is your bulb? <laughs> now, I'm not asking how smart you are. I'm not asking about natural IQ. I'm not talking about natural intelligence. What I'm saying is that here's the vision. The vision, we come under the leadership of King Jesus. We're not only forgiven for our sins, we enter into a transformation process. We learn to obey everything he said. As we listen and follow the Holy Spirit through the power of his word, we are transformed to be like Jesus. But the reason we become like Jesus is we're changed so we become world changers. And the more we're changed, catch this, the brighter our light shines. And so one way to measure our transformation, one way to measure our spiritual wattage is by are we growing in love and is that being manifested in acts of service? sacrificial service at home, families, community, workplace, and his church and the world. To what extent do we have his towel wrapped around our waist? How bright is your bulb? And today as we wrap up, we thought it would just be fun just to share another story of some everyday people like you at Rocky Peak, that God has just called out to serve in a particular way with disabled children. And this is a beautiful story of a group lighting it up. Just one more example. What God calls you to could be completely different. The goal here is not to say, this is what you need to do. The goal here is to say, this is who we need to be. And as we're transformed, let's listen and follow as a church that we might light it up. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's go to the screen. May that be our prayer that Jesus have your way as we see him, our king, on his knees, serving as a slave to us. He's, he's modeling for us that service is the way of life. It's the way to life. And, and so may that be the prayer of our heart that he would continue to share our hearts that they would be springs of love that out of those springs would naturally flow rivers of service, manifestations of that love, sacrificially to those around this really at every level, home, family, church, world. And so may that be our prayer this week, that God, would you give us the heart of Jesus as we listen and follow. This is where we're going as we're being transformed, as we're listening and follow. It's not just that we would be changed, but that we would be changed to be world changers, to join him in his mission as the Father has sent I, so send I you. Amen? Amen? So may this be a week we let our light shine. And more importantly, may it be a week that we begin to understand a little bit clearly of where this journey of transformation is taking us so that we can listen and follow and understand the implications. I mean, many times we don't understand this, that many times we think that that if I choose to follow Jesus and listen and follow, my life will change and my family will change and my world will get better and I've got to decide whether to trust him with that. But what we don't understand is that when a life changes, there's a ripple effect all through eternity. And what's at stake is not just your life, it's not just your family, it's just not your job or your church. What's at stake is the movement of Jesus. Then we say yes to him. The ripple effect goes out through eternity as the wattage on our bulb gets brighter. And we say no, that the darkness will not retreat like it would have. And so may as a church, we understand the times we live in. May we understand the responsibility and privilege we've been given as sons and daughters of the living king to be the light of the world. And may we embrace that, not just for our sake and our family, but for the sake of the world, that we would be world 
changers. Amen? Amen. 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 Now, as you go, a couple things. Don't forget, prayer on the right, both auditoriums. Uh, also, uh, just give you a heads up, you know, next week we'll be wrapping up this series, very important message. I'll be sharing kind of some important initiatives starting in January. You'll definitely want to be here. But the following week, we'll be going back into our series, Unfiltered. And so inside your program, we gave you the, the uh, for the next season, think of like third season in a drama, that uh, it's called Discovering a Higher Calling. We're going back in the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus has done his intro. Now he's going to begin to reveal his calling, what it looks like to follow him, his vision for our lives and the people we're created to be. It's going to be amazing. Really excited about it. I'm working on the final message this week of that series. I can see where it's going now. And I'm very excited. And so this is a great time to invite someone in your life that God's putting in your heart that maybe they need to come and hear this. And so be sensitive to the Holy Spirit. Is there someone he's putting on your heart? And so until then, may you listen and follow. May you be the light of the world. May your wattage be increasing as you surrender to the leadership of Jesus so we are not dim bulbs. Amen? Amen. Amen. God bless.